Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The white zone is for immediate unloading and loading of passengers only. No parking in the white zone. Thank you. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Monday, August 7, 2023, and today will be better than yesterday. I'm Buster Olney. I'm in the San Diego airport. Uh, Taylor Schwenk, Sarah Abbott are back in Connecticut. Guys, how you doing on this Monday morning? Doing all right, man. I mean, not in an airport at, uh, you know, in the 4 a.m. hour. So, uh, you know, no, no shade, but <laughs> might be better than you. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I'm totally energized for today because we have so much great stuff to talk about, Sarah. And uh, it's got to start with that fight. Oh, yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, I, it was the talk of baseball, that fight between Jose Ramirez and Tim Anderson uh, you know, everybody that I spoke to at the ballpark and he out here in San Diego, they were talking about that. Uh, a lot to get to today. I think we're going to be hearing from Tom Hamilton, who does play-by-play, of course, for the Cleveland Guardians, get his perspective on that brawl. And, and Taylor, I thought he had one of the best calls that I've heard uh, in baseball, as we're going to talk about with him coming up. Oh, yeah. I, so I was watching. I saw the fight almost, you know, as soon as it happened, it's on social media. I'm watching it a bunch of times. It was so good that I had it transcended baseball where I leaned over to my wife. I was like, you have to watch this. So we watched it together. And then I found Tom Hamilton's call. And I was like, oh, we got to watch it again with with this call. It's even better. And, and we were all in. So, uh, yeah, we, we got to talk to Tom about it today. Yeah, I'm excited to have a discussion with him. We're going to be talking with Sarah Langs, of course, and Tim Kirkchen, who, from what I understand, Today was a milestone day for him, and he'll explain why. Uh, with all the calls going on for flights in the background, Taylor, Sarah, I'm going to leave the uh, scoreboard over to you today. Thank you, Buster. Another exciting weekend in Major League Baseball. Let's run through it. Cubs and Braves over the weekend. The Braves, first team to 70 wins on Saturday, but the Cubs win their sixth straight series on Sunday. They did it with help from the one-time trade candidate, Cody Bellinger, and my, 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 that seems like a long time ago. Hap at first, one away, 3-3 game. Hap goes, the pitch, line drive, base hit. Down the right field line, on his way to third base is Hap. He's turning the corner and coming home. The throw cut off, Cubs take the lead. Cody Bellinger comes through. 4-3 to three Cubs over the Braves here in the fifth. That from the Cubs radio network. Cubs win 6-4. to four. Fly the W, Chicago. The Cubs are surging while the Reds are flailing. Cincinnati have lost six straight games after getting swept by the Nationals this weekend. Lane Thomas, the batter. First pitch to him. Swung on, hit deep to center. T.J. Friedel angling back. He's on the warning track at the wall. Leaping. Can't get it. It's gone. Goodbye. Out of the grassy berm just to the right of dead center field. And to the left of the outfield seats. Zoom goes Lane Thomas, and the Nationals have homered on consecutive pitches. The first two pitches of the game, the first two pitches in the big league career for Lion Richardson. Lane Thomas with his 19th home run of the year. It's the Nationals two, and the Reds nothing. That from 106.7, the fan. Nats win 6-3. to three. The Brewers haven't looked their best lately either. They get a split over the weekend against the Pirates, but lose Sunday with help from Connor Joe. And a fly ball left field toward the foul pole, approaching the wall, and it is 
gone. Just clearing the wall, Connor Joe. As Mark Canna drifted back, thought he had a beat on it. Connor Joe with his eighth. Couple of solo homers. Pirates lead 2 nothing. That bucko blast. You heard it on Sports Radio 93.7. The fan. Pirates win 4-1. to one. Also should note that Brandon Woodruff, he gets his first start in four months. He looks pretty good. Should be a good boost for Milwaukee. Interesting weekend in the Bronx with the Yankees and a four-game series against the Astros. Justin Verlander debuted on Saturday for Houston. He pitched okay. Seven innings, two runs allowed. He was a little out of sorts to start the game, but the Yankees... Uh, They ultimately win that one three to one. These teams split this series and with the game tied on Sunday in the top of the sixth, Jake Myers to the plate again, creating some distance for Houston. Pitch on the way and Myers hits this one high in the air and deep to left field. Connor Falefa is back at the wall, looking up. See you later! Second three-run homer of the day for Jake Myers and the Astros take an eight to five lead in the Bronx. That from KBME, 790 AM Astros win 9-7. to Jose Urquidy returned from the 60-day injured list Sunday, but the right-hander only made it three and a half innings. The big news out of Sunday's game was Carlos Rodon leaving the game in the third. He's going to get an MRI on his hamstring. It's been an injury-filled start to his time in New York. In other tough injury news, the Rangers' Josh Young left Sunday's game with a left thumb fracture after turning a double play. He's going to see a specialist. That would be a big blow for a key piece of that Texas offense. They did pull off a sweep against the Marlins, their second straight sweep after brushing the White Sox away last week and after getting swept themselves last weekend by the Padres. Nathaniel Lowe got Texas started early. 3-2 on the way. And that ball is hit high and deep out into right center field. Soler going back. He's at the track. He's at the wall. He leaps. It's gone. Nathaniel Lowe sticks one into the Rangers' bullpen for his 13th home run this year to give Texas a 3-0 lead. Twins, Diamondbacks, things stay bad for Arizona. They get swept by Minnesota, and it was Matt Walner who closed the series out in dramatic fashion. And the 0-1 to Walner swinging a fly ball, right center field deep. Back it goes at the track, at the wall. That ball is gone, a home run. Matt Walner with a walk-off home run to right center field. And the Twins come back, walk off the Diamondbacks, and sweep this weekend series. Minnesota's own, the pride of Forest Lake, Matt Walner being mobbed at home plate. That from Treasure Island Baseball Network. Twins win 5-3. to three. Another team that's spiraling right now, the Los Angeles Angels. They go all in at the trade deadline and have lost six straight sinks. Yikes. Tight series in Seattle all weekend. They somehow lose all four against the Mariners. And on Sunday's game, Eugenio Suarez sent everyone home. Three balls, two strikes. Maria set. Here's his pitch. Swung on, smoked, left field line, down for a base hit. Ty France screaming around third base. He's being waved in. He will score standing. Julio into third, and he is out at third. Julio came off the base. He was tagged. He is out, but the Mariners have the lead. It's 3-2 to two in the 10th inning. That from Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. Mariners win 3-2 to two in 10 innings. The Mets... 
dealing with a different kind of post-deadline spiral. This team looks completely deflated, and uh, that was bad timing because they were in Baltimore this weekend, and the birds busted out the brooms at home. Here's Adley Rutschman turning his five-game RBI streak into a six-game RBI streak. The fastest men in baseball, ground ball to third, Mateo coming on contact, followed by Vientos, he'll throw to first, get Rutschman, and get the run in. Jorge Mateo going on contact, and Vientos tried to rush his throw home, that caused the bobble, and ensured that the Orioles would get the first run as Rutschman is out, but it's a 1-0 Orioles lead. And here's the final call of that game. 2-2 to Vogelback, and it's a cut to miss for strike three. Win number 70 is part of a three-game sweep for the Orioles as they down the Mets at Camden Yards. That from our pals at WBAL, Orioles win two to nothing. The Orioles notch the 70th win of the season in 112 games. The franchise's fewest games needed to win 70 games since 1997. A little bit of a mouthful, but it's been a long time. Useful, useful stat there. Elsewhere in the AL East, the Blue Jays currently hold the final wildcard spot after sweeping the Red Sox and shoving Boston down in the standings. A 2-1. Fastball, line to left center field. That'll split the alley between Yoshida and Duran. It lands on the warning track, goes all the way to the wall. Biggio ends up at second with an RBI double. Three straight extra base hits for the Blue Jays. Three runs are in in the third. 3 nothing Toronto. That from Sportsnet, 590 the fan. Toronto wins 13-1. to Some weirdness with the Red Sox and all of this. Alex Verdugo showed up late to the ballpark on Saturday. Alex Cora benches him. Cora has been visibly irritated when talking to the media. Boston not in the best shape at the moment. On Sunday Night Baseball, you had Dodgers-Padres. They're playing a four-game series that actually ends tonight on Monday. The Dodgers won Friday night. Padres won Saturday. And then last night, the Dodgers brought the hammer down, getting home runs from BFFs. Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts. 3-2. Betts running and a curve is drilled to right. Back is Tatis. Going. Gone. Three-run homer. Freddie Freeman launching one. 23rd for Freeman. Wind up the 3-2 to Mookie. Swing and a ball hit out toward left center field and deep. Soto looking up. Gone home run. Mookie Betts left center. Number 30 for Betts. Roxy Bernstein on ESPN Radio. In just a bit, we're going to hear an extended conversation with Freddie and Mookie talking to our guy, Ravi. Really, really good stuff. I'm excited for you all to listen to that coming your way shortly here. Uh, Last thing up, though, the thing everyone in baseball was talking about all weekend, an actual base brawl broke out between Jose Ramirez, Tim Anderson on Saturday. Here's Jason Benetti's call on NBC Sports Chicago. Oscar's throw is not in time. He just missed him at second base. This is another rocket of a throw, and now... Oh, boy. Now oh, my goodness. Here come the benches. Off we go. It started with Anderson and Ramirez. Swings being taken. Kopak had to hold him back, and everybody's spilling out here in Cleveland. Buster, you can be sure, is going to talk to Tim Kirkshen about all of that, and we're going to have Guardians play-by-play man Tom Hamilton on the podcast to break down his call of the fight. We'll play that for you later. And uh, Sarah Lang's also going to join us. And as I mentioned before, that uh, conversation uh, between Ravi and Mookie and Freddie. So really good show ahead. 
Before we get to that, I just want to mention the College Game Day podcast is officially in conference preview season. Last week, we did the Big Ten. Two more coming your way this week, uh, Tuesday and Thursday. You can listen to the College Game Day podcast where you're listening to this show right now in its audio form, or you can watch the video version on YouTube. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirchner. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. And Tim Kirchner covers baseball for ESPN, which means doing baseball tonight in Bristol last night driving home overnight to Maryland and then Tim uh, getting up for this podcast at seven 30 in the morning. Cause we had to do a baggage claim edition today. Thank you for doing that. It's my pleasure, Buster. I'd much rather be at home with no sleep than sitting in an airport during a layover. And God knows where you are right now, a quiet place in an airport. That's impossible. No, it's not quiet. The sad thing is, is I was telling uh, Sarah and Taylor, uh, the table that I'm at is on top of marble. And so everyone around me at 4.30 in the morning here in San Diego is hearing all about baseball. And I don't think they're too excited about it. <laughs> it's just the sound is just resonating off the floor. So I apologize to everyone who can hear me, which is probably everyone in the airport. Uh, so you were going to say, I can see it in your face. You got something yeah. to say. Yeah, I was just saying, it's quite a life you've carved out for yourself here, Buster. I'm really proud of you. Well. All right, so we've got teams in turmoil, we've got major injuries, and we had an absolutely epic brawl. Which do you want to start with first? Well, let's get the fight out of the way. Go ahead. Okay, so here's the thing, Tim. And I, I talked to some of the Dodgers and Padres about this. Tim Anderson is going to wind up having what a, what a great career he's going to have. Probably play 15 years in the big leagues. He could collect close to 2,000 hits. And Tim, unless he has an October moment, this might be the moment that he's always going to be remembered for. Uh, his showdown with Jose Ramirez. What did you think? Well, I'm going to take the big picture first. When I used to cover the Orioles, Earl Weaver used to tell his players, whatever you do, don't throw at a hitter 
and don't get in a fight. Because when you get in a fight, somebody's going to get hurt. And more important, somebody's going to get suspended. And our guys are better than their guys because we're the Orioles. And we're going to lose on that exchange of suspensions. And that's exactly where the Guardians are right now. They've lost five games out of six. And they, they're going to lose their best player to a suspension because he and Tim Anderson got into it. There is so much blame to go around here. But in the end, it seems to me, from what I've been told, Jose Ramirez was just kind of standing up for some of the young guys on his team who felt they had been chirped to a little bit by Tim Anderson. And then before you know it, we've got guys dropping their gloves and hitting each other in the middle of the diamond, giving new meaning to the word box score, because that was a really good fight. And I'm not, I hate fighting on any level, but that was a pretty good one. And I think Ramirez hit him hard enough, not only to knock him down, but to stagger him for a minute, which you rarely, rarely see in a baseball fight. Yeah, it was interesting. Uh, That's what some of the Padres and Dodger players are talking about watching the replay. Like, Tim Anderson got hit. It wasn't only the initial knockdown. He looked like he was kind of shaken from that. Like there was some lasting effects from it. Yeah, they were walking him off the field and his legs looked a little rubbery to me. Now, he did come back out a few minutes later, ready to fight again. Uh, It's just unfortunate. It's not a good look for the game. But every once in a while, look, Buster, we can't forget this is a hard game played by hard men and they fight you to the last end. And I hate fighting, but I really admire, even though everyone's wrong in this, when when a player stands up for a teammate, especially a younger teammate, and says, look, don't talk to them. You want to talk to someone, you talk to me. I'm the best player on the team. And that's kind of what Jose Ramirez did. And as you know, Buster, completely out of character for him to get that angry. Completely out of character. I think what the uh, reason why Tim Anderson wanted to get back on the field, he probably was realizing, oh, my God, like this is going to become this is going to go viral on social media. And he was like a boxer who wanted a rematch right away. Right. Right. And it wasn't going to happen. He lost. That's a knockdown. And it's hard to have a knockdown in a major league game like that. Taylor, Sarah, I always like to bring you guys in because you have the view of the fans. Give me your uh, give me your view on what happened in that brawl. It was it was exciting. I mean, normally we don't get many good fights in baseball. So to see a a real, you know, knockout, drag out one go go down was was a lot of fun. But I kind of felt like Tim Anderson went down a little bit softly. I mean, wow. I, I could be mistaken, but it, and I, I gotta say the whole thing, Tim Anderson, just, you know, crashing to the ground and being woozy, perfect metaphor for the, the White Sox season. Oh, and we got more to get into with the White Sox in a moment. Sarah, what'd you think? I mean, I am against physical violence, but there's something about a good fight in sports that just is awesome to watch. <laughs> but yeah, like Taylor said, Tim Anderson went down pretty fast, but um, I hope they're all okay. And it was very entertaining to watch. Yeah, and Buster, ne- never forget, in 1983, I was covering the, the Rangers and the Rangers got in a big fight against the Royals. And it was three quarters of the way through the season. I asked Doug Rader, the manager, brilliant guy, by the way. And I said, I said, so you guys got in a fight. He goes, well, I was hoping we wouldn't get through the whole year without a good fight. There are old school baseball people who really believe that a good fight where everyone pulls together, we're in this together, pulls the team together. I'm not sure I'm buying that, but some old school baseball players do. We'll see if this helps the Guardians because right now they need some help. Yeah, Tim, to your point, 
I, I, you know, you're talking about Romero sticking up for his teammates. I thought he, what he did was great. He wasn't looking when he slides into second base, he's not looking to throw punches. He's not looking for that brawl. But once Tim Anderson basically squares up and drops his glove, he's got no choice and he got the better of it. Right. And if he, <laughs> Taylor talks about going down a little easy. <laughs> if Ramirez had hit Taylor, you, me, or Sarah like that, we would all be out for the count and never get up. All right. Let's be clear. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So we should transition now. Actually, you know what? I'm going to ask you the same question I threw out on Twitter yesterday. The most epic brawler in baseball history. And I threw out just a handful of nominations, okay? Uh, I had A was, for me, Rugnet Odor with that brawl with Jose Batista. Uh, I put Jose Ramirez in that because we were prisoner at the moment. I had Nolan Ryan, Robin Ventura, uh, obviously. And then D had Alan Mills, who, as you know, was a very underrated brawler. He was a relief pitcher with the Orioles, and there were, he was involved in a couple of major fights. And you know Millsy, incredibly nice, would always wear Sunday dress, come in, very understated. But when a fight would break out, boy, he, he, was, he was right in the middle of it. The last time I saw this in that fight between the Yankees and the Orioles, it spilled over in the Orioles' dugout in 1998 when Daryl Strawberry was throwing punches at Armando Benitez, and Millsy just decked him. And went after him in the dugout. Give me your most epic brawler in baseball history. Well, the Ryan thing was pretty good. Robin Ventura told me years later what happened on that play. He got hit and he said it hurt so much because he got hit by a fastball from Nolan Ryan. He said it hurt so much I couldn't even see straight. I was seeing red. So I ran to the mound and I got halfway there and my senses came back to me and I said, oh my God, I'm charging Nolan Ryan. I can't do this. But now it's too late to turn around. So he had to continue to the mound and then he got his butt kicked, which was hilarious. When Jason Streeb joined the Yankees, I think I've got this right. He was asked, you know, if you were in a brawl with all these big guys, you know, Judge, Stanton, who would you pick? And he went, Rugnet Odor, who else? Because he decked Jose Batista. But going way back, guy, not on your list. I, I don't remember all the details. But Champ Summers was involved in a fight about 30, 40 years ago. Detroit, San Diego, big guy, strong guy. That was a bad fight. And no Atlanta, San Diego. You're talking yes. about Atlanta. Yeah. Right. Nobody wanted any part of Champ Summers. Trust me. So it's so funny you say that, you know, I was in the umpire's room as they always go in before each Sunday night game to talk to him about queuing first pitch and who's going to wear a microphone and all that. And Dan Iasonia was in there and we were talking about stories. We were talking about that. Everybody in baseball is talking about this fight. And we were talking about that fight and that Padres Braves fight came right. up. It, it, it like lasted the whole game because the Padres kept on trying to hit Pasquale Perez and they couldn't do it. And so over and over and over, uh, the bench is emptied and like a thousand, I think 13 players were ejected in that game. And if you want to watch a video, if you have like a whole day to burn, go and find that video on YouTube. Uh, all right. So this will transition us perfectly into teams in turmoil, the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Keenan Middleton, uh, a longtime reliever, spoke with our Jesse Rogers, did a great job of this story uh, and told him that he felt like that the culture of the White Sox to him was a basically a club with, quote-unquote, no rules. And he detailed how you had guys sleeping in meetings, guys not showing up to meetings. If you're Pedro Grafal, the first-year manager of the White Sox, you're reading this and you're going, oh, my God. Uh, in terms of perception of his team, 
What a mess, Tim. Yeah, it, it's a mess. The way it was explained to me is that there are players on the team who have gone directly to the general manager's office and even to the owner's office to discuss what's going on with the team. And I know this is not Pedro Grifol's fault. We've had players long before he got there who feel entitled to do kind of whatever they want. And it's just a rule. You don't go to the general manager's office when you're a player. You stop first at the manager's office to try to get this figured out. The culture there has been not good for a couple of years now. And Pedro Grafal walked right into the middle of it. And he is going to clean this up. You watch because he recognized it immediately from what I'm told. And they have a long way to go, not only to make that team better, but to clean up everything that's wrong there right now. When, when I read the story, my thought was, is that we saw Tim Anderson get knocked down in a fight. And that may have been the second biggest uh, and I don't want to use the word indictment, but this the second biggest knock on him of the weekend, because that story, the fact is, is that he him being one of the veteran players, he's going to have to answer for that in terms of, you know, his next job, his next role where people are going to ask questions. Yes, he is Monty Grandal, uh, other veteran pitchers on that team. Yeah, it's good that they're moving some players along and they may need to do a total overall here to get this team back to where it should be because talent-wise, there's still quite a bit there, but they are so far behind other teams in a very winnable division. Uh, a lot of work needs to be done with the White Sox. All right, and then the Boston Red Sox, who don't really do anything at the trade deadline. They don't add. Uh, our friend Alex Cora, I don't know if you got a chance to see his postgame press conference on Saturday, but this was after Alex Verdugo showed up late to the ballpark. They pulled him from the lineup, second straight day. Uh, and I don't know if I've seen Alex more angry than he was in that press conference. And I don't know how much of that is what the Red Sox didn't do at the trade deadline, uh, what was going on with Verdugo, uh, the way the game ended on Saturday with a runner being doubled off second, which was a terrible look for the whole team because uh, the, the base runner assumed that the ball was going to hit off the green monster. Instead, it's a game-ending double play. What do you make of the Red Sox? Well, they've lost seven out of eight, scored 28 runs in those eight games. The Reese McGuire base running mistake was unacceptable on every single level. No major league game can end like that, especially when your team is struggling that way. He had no idea where the ball was or what to do there. And sorry, that just can't happen, Buster. This is the big leagues. This is the only time I ever get even mildly upset is when people don't know how to run the bases and don't know how to play the game. We saw it about five times this weekend on the bases where I just slapped my forehead. As for showing up to the ballpark on time, Buster, please, this is all the players are asked to do. Show up on time and try hard. If you don't, if one of those is missing from the equation, uh, you do deserve to be on the bench and you do, do deserve to draw the ire of Alex Cora. I agree. I have never seen him that disturbed. And that team has held it together so beautifully this year on so many levels. They have no right being in the wild card, given everything that's gone wrong there. And then somebody steps out of line at a really important time. Totally unacceptable. Sorry. So, and you know, our good friend, Dan Shaughnessy reacted so gently to all <laughs> of 
events on social media and it basically said, look, what do you expect? The message from the ownership message from the front office was after the Red Sox surged into the trade deadline, they were playing great. And then they don't add anything. How much of that do you think is involved in all this? Well, they they had to add something and they didn't. Look, I know Garrett Whitlock, Tanner Howe, Chris Sale, Trevor Story are all on the way back. And yes, those are your trade deadline acquisitions. But Buster, this is Boston. You got to do more than this. You can't wait for injured pitchers to come back. You have to go get something done before then. The Red Sox didn't do it. Ownership didn't didn't exactly say, hey, we need to improve this team because without improving the team, they're not going to the playoffs. They're back in last place and better teams are ahead of them. I'm surprised they didn't do anything. I'm surprised Verdugo showed up late. I'm not surprised that Alex Cora was furious about all of this. All right. We've had two straight trade deadlines now where I felt like the Red Sox leadership showed no urgency. And that just can't happen in Boston. You know, maybe that can happen in a small market, sleepy town, but in Boston, it's just not going to be acceptable. And if the team fades out of the playoffs and the seats are empty at Fenway Park, Tim, I think there's going to be a price to pay. And I don't know who's going to pay that, but it feels like the change is coming. Right. Passionate, sophisticated fans go to Red Sox games. And when you don't, when you don't bring a good product, passion and sophistication turns into anger and they stop showing up. And I don't blame them because the Red Sox ownership didn't do enough again this time. All right. Two huge injuries. I feel like that happened over the weekend, maybe three we can mix in here. Joe Musgrove goes down with a sore shoulder. They're going to shut him down for three weeks and then they're going to try to ramp him back up. I spoke with AJ Preller, the Padres general manager yesterday. fact is Tim, as we sit here today, the Padres have no idea what they're going to get out of Musgrove the rest of the year. How big of a deal is this? Uh, it's huge. If he doesn't pitch the rest of the year and they're two games under 500 and they're trying everything they can to make the playoffs and he's been arguably their best pitcher all year, um, I'm not sure they're going to overcome this because Rich Hill, God bless him, what a, what a great story he is, but you can't bring in a guy on his 13th team and say, save us down the stretch at age 43. So Musgrove is not only a really good pitcher, but a tremendous clubhouse presence. They got to get him back healthy for the stretch run and October if they make it. And I'm not sure he's even going to be back for the stretch run the way things are looking. Josh Young, broken thumb with the Rangers. We'll find out more specifics. But uh, to me, in terms of his availability, I don't think you necessarily have to hear from a specialist. You know that his absence will be devastating for the Rangers because their strength of their team right now is with that lineup. Right. He started 106 games at third base this year for the Rangers. No one else on their team has started as many as five games at third base for the Rangers, meaning they don't have anyone that can just plug in there and say, all right, you follow what Josh Young did and hit a bunch of homers and play a good third base. That guy doesn't exist. And I love the Rangers and the way they play. That guy was a critical piece to their lineup, and he's going to be out for a while. And Buster, anytime you're messing with a hitter's wrist, hands, fingers, and something breaks, you know, it's, they're not just coming back in three weeks and being okay. That's going to be sore, and it's going to affect him the rest of the year no matter when he comes back. So some quick hitters before you go. I saw the Dodgers over the weekend. Wow, with Ahmed Rosario and Kike Hernandez in that lineup to balance off the lefties. Uh, you know, you have two guys who do significant damage against uh, you know, left-handed pitchers. 
I, I, you know, my question is, Tim, do you feel like this revamped Dodgers lineup is as good as the Braves lineup? Uh, no, but it's really close. And let's be clear, Buster, the, the Dodgers are still in first place with a starter's ERA well over four, over four and a half. And it's on its way to being the highest starters ERA by the Dodgers since they moved to Los Angeles in 1958. And they're still in first place because they can mash. Only the Braves have scored more runs and hit more homers than the Dodgers. The Dodgers are going to have four guys hit 30 homers. They're going to have two guys, Freeman and Betts, who are going to finish in the top five of the MVP. And they just keep bringing in hitter after hitter, and they keep scoring runs. So I love their offense. I love it even more now with the additions that they've made. But if they're going to win the World Series, they're probably going to have to slug their way there because their pitching isn't the same, but they're good enough to slug their way to a lot of different places. Give me the top five in the National MVP race, which is going to be the difficult, probably the most difficult vote for anybody. We know the American League MVP is going to be Shohei Otani. National MVP right now, the favorite, Ronald Acuna Jr. But Tim, filling out that ballot, one through six, one through seven is tough. Who do you got right at the moment? Yeah, I haven't given it some thought other than Freeman and Betts, maybe two and three. Corbin Carroll has got to be top five, I would think, even though the the uh, Diamondbacks have really fallen. Um, I haven't given much thought. I mean, Matt Olson's got to be in there. He's in the league at home runs. He's got we had Sarah Lang told us the other once. Is she, Juan Soto, uh, Sarah Lang, saying the other yeah. day. I, that's where that's where I'll go off the top of my head. Two Braves, two Dodgers, and Corbin Carroll. And I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out. But at 7.40 in the 50 in the morning, uh, I'm allowed to. All right, Cubs, nice series against the Braves. Uh, look, I think the Braves are clearly the best team in baseball at this point. But for the Cubs, they probably came out of that series feeling like they're real. Buster, they're 16-7 and seven since the All-Star break. They've averaged seven and a half runs per game. Help me, where did this offense come from? We know Cody Bellinger's had a resurgent season, but everyone that they plug in there now rakes. I mean, Jamer Candelaria going into yesterday was 11 for 21 since he joined the Cubs. Everyone on their team hits these days, and I didn't see it coming, but now with the Reds struggling and the Brewers struggling, why can't the Cubs win the division? And this is why they didn't give up at the trade deadline, because they said it's a weak division. We can win. And if you can go into the playoffs averaging seven and a half runs a game for almost a month, you got to go with that. So during the offseason, I talked about uh, how I felt like the Cubs were going to be a greatly improved team, but I never imagined it would be rooted in offense. I thought for sure it was going to be pitching and defense and maybe scrape together three, four runs a game, Tim. But what they're doing is just crazy. Uh, let's talk about the Angels. Uh, who made, you know, the biggest uh, the decisions that were scrutinized the most when they uh, essentially told other teams, look, we're not trading Shohei Otani. And then they add Tim. Oh, my God, we're not even in the first through the first 10 days of August. They might be done. Their, their chances for making the playoffs after that weekend sweep at the hands of the Mariners down to 2.1 percent. According to fan graphs, you talk about the charge of the light brigade. They had no chance. Yeah, so since the trade deadline, the Mets, Diamondbacks, Reds, and Angels 
haven't won a game since the trade deadline. And three of them, not the Mets, are contenders. But this hurts the Angels the most because they went all in. Now, look, Buster, we've been over this. We blast teams for not doing enough. Yes, It's not fair to blast the Angels for trying too hard to win. Well, they tried really hard, and right now it's not working. And this is possibly, possibly the worst-case scenario. They traded more than one prospect. They bring in Lucas Giolito. He leaves as a free agent after the year. They trade a couple more to get Gritchick and C.J. Crone. They don't make the playoffs, and and Shohei Otani leaves, which I'm not guaranteeing that he's leaving, by the way, win or lose. But if that indeed happens, this is the worst-case scenario for the Angels. They go for it. They don't make the playoffs. They lose their free agents and they start next year with the worst farm system in baseball and they have to start all over again. Worst possible scenario. Give me 30 seconds on the Mariners who I feel like are the team that no one's paying attention to right now. Yeah, they're playing really, really well. And Bryce Miller was great again last night. Young pitching. Remember, Buster, this is when the Mariners made their push last year for their first playoff appearance since 2001 so i don't just dis- i don't discount the mariners in that division they're really playing well and i think there might be a playoff spot open if they keep playing this well especially with the yankees having their injuries the way they have uh especially with the red sox as we talked about it feels like they're in turmoil since the trade deadline all right tim thanks for doing this Thank you, Buster. I was a little agitated this morning. Sorry, I was a little angry this morning. You got me going, but I had no Diet Mountain Dew in the house, none. So I drank, a cup, of, I drank a cup of coffee for the first time in my life this morning. I oh drank a cup of coffee, and it was actually pretty good, but I think it's done something to my head. So we'll move on from here. Wow. Do you know that one of the, uh, one of the effects of coffee for some people is irritability? Well, I, this has been an irritable podcast, thanks to you. So I'm sorry <laughs> if I got irritable at you or anyone else. Here it comes. A swing and a smash to first by the diving Vaughn. Down the right field line. Kicks into the corner. Ramirez on his way to second. Head first slide. Safe and in the score is Jimenez. And another hustle double. Right over the bag at first. Now Hosey and Anderson square off. They're fighting. They're swinging. Down goes Anderson. Down goes Anderson. Tom Hamilton, of course, is the play-by-play man on WTAM. And, and Tom, I texted you over the weekend. What a great call. Uh, wow. I mentioned, And I mentioned to you that, you know, I, I've always thought that the standard for the best call I ever saw of live action was John Miller. 1996, uh, the John, uh, or the Jeffrey Mayer play, uh, where he called it live and he nailed it uh, yeah. on first sight. And your call was like that of this, uh, this moment that everybody in baseball is talking about. Well, thank you, Buster. I appreciate the kind words. Anytime you're even mentioned with John Miller, it's an honor because he's, he's at the, the top of the mountain for a lot of us as far as play by play. And I, you know what it, to me, it's not about the call. It, it, it's about Jose Ramirez, and uh, I think, Buster, we have our first six-tool player. We always hear about five tools, but uh, Jose just added a six with that right hook, and uh, Tim Anderson picked on the wrong guy. All right. I'm going to ask you about that in a second, but I do. I am curious about the call, just you know, working in the business. Tell me what you saw, and were you tracking this on your monitor in front of you, or you were seeing it 
from the booth live looking at at the field? You know, we have a monitor, but I don't use the monitor. It's kind of off to the side buster. I just feel like for me doing radio, um, I know sometimes I should look at the monitor on especially balls that are hard now to tell whether or not they cleared the wall or not. But I don't think as a radio broadcaster, it's that bad for the audience to hear that pregnant pause, so to speak, while you wait either for an umpire's signal or for yourself to clearly see a home run. So, no, I was I was watching it live, and I was just fortunate that I had a good view. And, I mean, it, it, truly, I'm not trying to sound uh, fake modest here or anything else, but sometimes you don't see plays like you wished you could, whether it was sun glare or whether it's your position in the, the booth as far as, you know, some of these new ballparks where you're up in the clouds trying to call a game. So I was lucky that way that, you know, I had a really good view of it. And it was such a bang-bang play at second, Buster, that you're riveted to what the call is going to be at second base. And, um, you know, we, we knew there was some tension. I didn't know it was to the degree it was until talking to guys the next day and finding out that this was a carryover from things that were said uh, in the previous series in Chicago. But I just don't ever remember anything escalating that quickly where you didn't anticipate anything escalating. It wasn't like we'd had guys getting drilled by pitches, you know, for the last two or three days. All right. You were the first of about 8 million people in baseball who uh, echoed Howard Cosell's phenomenal call. (laughs) Down goes Frazier, down goes Frazier. Tell me about how, you know, how did that pop into your head? It's total reflex. I don't know. You know, again, I'm in a business where you're live and, um, especially in today's world of social media, um, you're five minutes away from having your career end if you botch a call too, because then that's all over the country. So um, there's good and bad with that. You know, to me, you just have to, you hope the good Lord puts the right words in your mouth. It's no different when you're trying to clinch a playoff spot or when it's game seven of a World Series. Those are, are calls that you are concerned about because, you know, those are calls that are going to potentially go down in history. This is just one of those things that you're spontaneous. And I was lucky enough that the right words came in, I guess. Again, to me, it's more about what Jose Ramirez did sticking up for teammates than it was about my call. You mentioned the tension in the past. What did you learn yesterday in the aftermath of that? Yeah, I I hadn't realized it because we've had Chicago here back-to-back series. And it had happened in Chicago with Gabriel Arias, in which Anderson didn't like Arias looking back to try to track a ball that when he was going first to third was hit to right. And I don't know if Anderson misinterpreted that Arias was looking at him and Anderson had things to say to Arias during that game. And then Gabriel Arias was playing first base on Saturday night. And you learned that there was a lot of, um, really negative stuff being said toward him by Anderson to a point that the umpire went into the White Sox dugout and told Anderson to knock it off. And so again, that's stuff you don't, you don't see when you're in the booth or understand maybe because you can't hear it. And um, then Brian Rocchio, another rookie had the head first slide on Friday night. Anderson knocked his hands off the bag. That call was missed by the umpire. Uh, But again, Hosey did not like 
how Anderson was tagging and and whatnot. And he had told him a couple of times, knock it off. You know, I think if you heard Hosey's comments after the game, he had said to Anderson, look, somebody's going to get hurt if you keep doing it that way. We're all out here just trying to make um, money to provide for our families. So play the game with a little more respect. And uh, I think that was then a culmination of all of that. It's also Buster why Jose Ramirez is revered in our clubhouse because that was a veteran sticking up for two rookies that he felt uh, were being unfairly treated. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Tim Anderson has a side to the story too. I'm just telling you the side that I got from our players and our coaches. Now, you know, Jose Ramirez far better than I do, but the times I've been around him, I mean, he's (laughs) the last guy to look for something like that too, right? Buster, he's never been ejected from a ball game. You will never see him argue with an umpire. And Jose talked about that too. He said, if there's a call I don't like, I go down into the dugout, up into the tunnel. And if I've got any displeasure, then that that's where I'll do it in private because Jose doesn't want to leave a game. When Tito tries to give him an off day, his reply to Tito is, an off day is when I don't have a game on the schedule. And so this guy wants to play every inning of every game. Um, He doesn't argue with umps. He doesn't get thrown out of games. He doesn't get angry. And so there was obviously a reason for that anger that culminated on Saturday night. Did you see uh, anything that you experienced with Jose that you saw that that was in him, what he did in that fight? He's got guys hanging on him and and he's throwing a punch that, let's face it, it's going to be replayed for the rest of Tim Anderson's life. Yeah, unfortunately, I think for Tim Anderson, it's going to be the same thing for Robin Ventura. If you look at Robin Ventura, nobody talks about Robin Ventura was a great hitter. He wasn't a good hitter. He was a great hitter. And all he's ever looked upon now a lot of times is what happened with him and Nolan Ryan. And and that's not fair to Robin Ventura. Uh, No, to to answer your question, no, Buster, because, again, Posey's such a mild-mannered guy. And... um, you know, we haven't had, look, if you look at our team, it's not very big physically. We're not the kind of ball club that's going to get into many bench clearing brawls, because if we do, it's not going to end well with some of these other ball clubs from a, a physicality standpoint. But uh, again, I just, I, I think it tells you all you need to know about Hosey. Not only does he play the game harder than anybody that I've ever seen in our organization, but he has such a demand of his teammates and himself to play the game the right way, to play it respectfully. And um, that really bothers him. And, and, and in a lot of ways, Buster, he's old school when you think of that. All right. So, uh, you know, it was interesting watching uh, Terry Francona's postgame press conference because he's not going to come out and publicly endorse someone throwing punches. But you just got the feeling, and I've known Tito a long time, looking at his uh, smile, his bemused smile, that, I, I mean, there's part of this that they, in, I'm guessing in the Guardians clubhouse, they loved it. Yeah, again, because I think, and again, I, I want to be fair to Tim Anderson and, and the Chicago White Sox, because I have so much respect for what Tim Anderson has accomplished in his career. I mean, up until the last two years, He was arguably as good a hitter as we had in the American League. And uh, I think the world of a lot of people in that White Sox organization, I think it's a tremendous organization. So I want to be fair that 
I'm, I'm always pointing out this is Cleveland's side of the story from what I have heard and, and what I have gathered uh, in talking to people. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that our club needed to be galvanized. Look, we're going through a tough year. When you lose your three best starting pitchers to injuries in Bieber, McKenzie, Quantrill, and then Zach Plesak is back in the minor leagues and you trade Aaron Savali, you kind of know what the end result is going to be here for the last two months. But I think it's another example that Jose sends, not that he had this in mind when he slid into second base. I don't know what was said between those two guys at second base, but um, Jose's showing everybody we're still going to play this game all out all the time, no matter what our record is, no matter who's here, no matter who's not here. And look, Buster, Hosey was not happy with, with what happened at the trading deadline. And that's why Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff flew down on a 6.30 flight the day after the deadline on a Wednesday morning when we had a day game in Houston. Chris and Cherney flew down on a 6.30 flight from Cleveland to be in that clubhouse on Wednesday morning so guys could air their, their displeasure, their grievances, or their thoughts on what Cleveland did at the trade deadline. Uh, the one thing Chris Cherney and Tito have always been transparent. There's transparency with how they treat their players, how they communicate with their players, and let their players know what's going on. And veterans are never happy when they see veterans traded. They want to see more talent coming in. But Chris and Cherney have to look out, too, for the long-term future of this club and have to be realistic about where this club is here in 2023. But again, that, as Tito says, it may be harder, but that's not an excuse to not try and win. All right, last one before you go. Uh, I just saw the Dodgers over the weekend in San Diego. Ahmed Rosario looks like an absolutely perfect fit, in part because, uh, look, they don't have – they don't need him to be – uh, anything more than a really good complimentary player. They're going to line him up against left-handed pitchers as often as they can. They pinch hit for him last night when a right-hander came in the game with David Peralta, and he looks like he's having a blast. What uh, what do you see about his potential with the Dodgers? Well, I, I think he's a perfect fit there. One, he's just like Jose Ramirez. Buster, nobody plays the game harder than Amanda Rosario, and the example I will give is on this recent road trip when we were, now they're all running together, but I think it was in Chicago. We won a game one to nothing with Ahmed Rosario at first base, two down, and Jose Ramirez hits a high pop-up into shallow right center. The ball was not caught, and Ahmed Rosario scored from first base. I've never seen that before. We always hear about, yeah, you got to run it out. You got to play hard. Who scores from first base with two down? on a pop-up that wasn't caught in right center. Ahmed Rosario, because he always goes 100%. So that was also Jose Ramirez's closest friend. So it was a, a, a tough time emotionally for Jose to lose Ahmed Rosario. But by the same token, Cleveland's got to find out about who their shortstop is next year. It was not going to be Ahmed Rosario. And Again, Tito, Chris, and Cherney felt like it is not fair to Ahmed Rosario to put him on the bench in Cleveland while these other kids play. So get him to a ball club that's got a chance to win. He'll be a free agent. This will also help his marketability. But I, I think the Dodgers are going to find out what we found out. Ahmed Rosario is a winning player. All right. I know you don't want to make it about you, but I'll say it again. What a phenomenal call. 
Uh, and, uh, and I really enjoy talking with you as always. Thanks for doing this. Hey, Buster, it's always a treat and an honor to be on your show. Thanks for thinking of me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is The Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Monday? I'm doing great, Buster. How are you? I'm doing great. As I was telling uh, Tim and Taylor and Sarah, boy, this brawl that happened on Saturday is the talk of baseball. The Padres were talking about it. All the Dodgers were talking about it. I was in the umpire's room. That conversation came up. I, I brought it up. And then the, the umpires mm. you know, brought in their memories of baseball fights. Uh, for you... And when you just think about the history of baseball, who is the most epic baseball brawler? I mean, I always go history, history. So I think of uh, Nolan Ryan and him and Robin Ventura in that moment. Uh, But I would say that most people my age are probably out there saying Rudinetto Dora, right? It's all kind of split the difference, but I always think of Nolan Ryan. Oh, yeah, that that is because it has the... uh, he was in his mid forties, and Nolan. And when Robin Ventura, yeah, ran out there, I think he was what twenty two, and he was like yeah. half Nolan Ryan's age. And Nolan Ryan like handled him like uh, he was wrestling a calf, yeah. and then threw him to the ground. You're right. That uh, that probably got the more views than any other baseball fight in history. All right, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is ten. So yesterday, Bryce Miller of the Mariners, excuse me, and Chase Salsa of the Angels each had at least 10 strikeouts in the Mariners-Angels game. 
ended up going to an innings. It was only the second time since at least 1901 that two rookie pitchers each had at least 10 strikeouts in the same game. Listen to this. The other time it happened, September 1st, 1906, Jack Coombs had 18, Joe Harris had 14, in a 24-inning game where both of them threw complete games. So I think we can say, I mean, the modern era is 1900, but this is the first time in the modern era of pitching. The two rookies of each had uh, 10 strikeouts in the same game. Number two. Number two is nine. So we have a bit of a theme here of sort of rookies and young players. So Davis Schneider of the Blue Jays made his debut over the weekend in Boston, and he had quite the series. He has nine hits in those first three games. That is tied for the most by any player since at least 1901 in his first three career games with 1938 Coker Triplett, who, yes, had one triple, but did not have any homers in those nine hits. David Schneider has two obviously different errors, but to be one of two guys to have that many hits in your first three career games, really, really cool. And I was going to jump in here, uh, Taylor, before you move on to uh, to number one. I don't know if you got a chance to see the interview after Schneider had that game on Saturday. Hazel May was talking with Brandon Belt, and Brandon Belt referred to him as Babe Schneider. Oh, my gosh. That's perfect. That's also very Brandon Belt being what he's right right now. So I love that. Number one. Number one is 20 and 30. So to round out our uh, our rookies and sophomores, we have Bobby Witt Jr. of the Royals. Over the weekend, Nosh up to 20 homers, and he already had 30-plus stolen bases on the year. He is the first player in Major League history to have at least 20 home runs and 30 stolen bases in each of his first two seasons. So there are guys out there who did this in a rookie season after a September call-up and then in their next year after that, but he was the first one to do it in the year he debuted and then in the second year. And I just want to say, there's been a lot of shade thrown lately towards some bases and guys doing things and saying, oh, well, new rules, bigger bases. First of all, it's not their fault that they're playing in the game that exists right now. And second of all, he did this initially last year. There's no doubt that this is who Bobby Wood Jr. is as a player. So I just want to mention that as well. <laughs> yeah, the Royals aren't getting a lot of attention, but it's nice to see them have a surge at the end of the year as they you know, start to look forward to 2024. All right. Uh, over the weekend, we got a chance to see the Dodgers. We got a chance to see the Padres. Um, I got to say the Dodgers lineup, I feel like, with the addition of Kike Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario, looks so much more potent with these two guys who do a lot of damage against left-handed pitching. How much closer do you feel like the Dodgers lineup is to that of the Atlanta Braves as you begin to envision some postseason series? I mean, it's certainly close. I think there's still a gap there because this Braves team 
is currently on pace to set the all-time home run record. They're one home run through 109 games ahead of where the 2019 Twins were. They set the record at 307. The Braves right now one more home run than they had at this point. They've hit two more 450-foot home runs in the season than any other team we've ever seen. There is that element of explosiveness and relentlessness that they have every night. But we saw in Sunday baseball last night, the Dodgers certainly have that relentlessness as well. As you and I talked about at the end of last week, they have two guys who are going to finish 2-3 for MVP in uh, the besties we saw in girls' interview uh, in in, uh, Freddie and Mookie. I think the lineup is getting there. My thing is just the pitching is such a difference. But we'll see where the Braves are at in terms of depth. Uh, real quick before we go, I know you love the afternoon baseball games. Max Fried's return for the Braves feels like a big deal. And against the Cubs, he looked terrific. What'd you see? Oh, yeah. He looked out to me. I mean, you were starting to wonder how far can he go in this? I know he hasn't pitched in the majors since May. Starting to wonder just how long he could spend that. But yeah, he looked outstanding. And, you know, Hey, while we're here, credit to the Cubs for taking two of three in that series. I know I'm sitting here and talking about how relentless the Braves are. They actually only won one game in that series, but man, did he look good. Sarah, thanks for getting up early on this Monday. Thanks so much for having me, Buster. On Sunday, Carl Ravitch got a chance to talk with Freddie Freeman and Mookie Betts, who've developed a great friendship. Give a listen. Hi, uh, Freddie Mookie. Let's start with you, Freddie. What is it about this relationship that works so well? Yeah, you guys are. Uh, yeah, it's. It, I mean, it was a fast starting relationship last year when I came into spring training. Um, you know, we just kind of have the same mindsets on life and in baseball. So I think when you find out a person that has the same personalities, same likes, same interests, you just kind of get drawn to that person. It's pretty, uh, pretty fast that we figured that out. Last right, so year. you open the door, like you, you share with us. Like we want to get to know you a little bit. So what are the what are those similar likes, et cetera? I think it's more of just like obviously baseball is one thing, but it's more of like family time. We we prioritize that over baseball I think and that's just who we are as people and obviously how we conduct ourselves with each other and our families carries over to the baseball field we just have a good time in life Um, we love our wives we love our kids and we love our teammates and we come out here and we love the game of baseball too how often are you how often are you hanging out like how has this relationship evolved over the last year and a half um from to his point like we're with our families when we go away from the field typically we're with our families together uh, it's sometimes. Yeah. Well, two yeah. weeks ago, two I was weeks waiting. Ago, he just pulled up my I, house. I, 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 up I, I, he was. I, we just showed up at his house, and he wasn't there. He was bowling. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Chelsea and I waited for him to get home. But that was that was what a week ago. Yeah, two weeks like, ago. Like, <laughs> right yeah, yeah. We, we, Chelsea I mean, I and I having. Yeah, Chelsea and I were having dinner right next to his house, and we were like, "Yeah, let's just go to Mookie's house real yeah. quick." <laughs> but that's a comfort that you know, like you guys are really good guys. I'm sure you have great relationships mm. with a lot of people. But this hasn't been a long time. But there's a comfort level, like. Where does that come from? Um, I don't know. Really I think, cool. I think. I, I mean, I think Freddie kind of said it all, and then, and then, there's also this weird thing where we don't have to talk. 
but we know what each other is saying, doing, <laughs> you know, and I, maybe that's what it is. I, I can't really explain it, but I just know that we view, like like you said, we view life alike. And that's the key word is comfort. I think it's just we're comfortable around each other, and that was pretty fast starting. You could just see the comfort level was there in 2022 in March when I got there to Camelback Ranch. It was just, it was an easy relationship to start and I think that the key word is comfort. Yeah. I think that one of the main things was when I, when I, when he first came over and I knew, you know, we all kind of saw how he got here, right? And I knew like, okay, he may, he may not, he doesn't really know how he got here and he doesn't even know if he really wants to be here just yet. And I'm not gonna try and force him to be here. So I told him like, hey, if you ever wanna talk, I'm here. If not, cool, I didn't force it on him. And I think it was just genuine at that point. Like we just wanted to talk to each other, but we gave each other space. Sure. And then it just uh, eventually. How, for you, how long did it take you to get into the position to say to anybody, let alone a superstar, if you wanna talk? Like your, your comfort level with yourself yeah. is a big part of this, I'm right. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, it really took me talking to my wife. I was talking to my wife about it, and I wanna say it was like the second or third day. Um, and I was like, you know, he, I could just tell he was quiet, you know, and it wasn't the same Freddie that when you go to first day. <laughs> yeah. and so you know, I knew, I knew I, I came here, I got traded, and it was all new for me too, and it's all new for him. And I didn't really know what to say. There's nothing really to say to him. I can't help, you can't help a grown man through a situation like this, it's his, his experience. And so I was just, man, if you ever wanna talk, yeah, but you know what you did? That. You ever want to talk to yeah. like somebody that's who's willing to do that? Yeah. Right? It's just uh, when I first got here, that's he was obviously, him and Andrew Friedman just set up arms around, you know, the Friedman family. And it was just one of those relationships that started because of how genuine he was. And, you know, as a person, as a human, you could see the genuine in him. Yeah. And I think that's what started the relationship. So yeah. It struck me, I read last year on your way to Wrigley Field after the paternity leave, you're in traffic and you're you're on the phone with Freddie. Yeah. What, what yeah. was that con conversation like? Um, and why did you get on with him and how would you get on with him? He called, I wanted, he called me yeah, I was, and he was like, hey, uh, where are you at? Because I was supposed to be there and the traffic was horrible. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, he wanted me to start. <laughs> that's, that's he wanted me in the lineup. Yeah, he wanted okay. me in the lineup. We all want Mookie Betts in the lineup. <laughs> and so I was like, bro, I don't think I'm going to make it in time. And so he said, uh, he just got, he literally got all my stuff ready. He's like, your, all your stuff will be ready. It's right here. Like your mom before school. Yep. He, I, had, yeah, he I, had all, I had everything ready Everything ready to go. Everything ready to go. So as soon as I came in, everything was laid out ready for me. And you knew who did it. Oh, yeah. He, we were talking. Oh, yeah. FaceTiming. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We were talking. We talked for about, had to be 10, 10, 10, 15 minutes, you know, and I was two miles away from the stadium. All right. So he's <laughs> playing shortstop that night, but there's other nights he plays second base. Yeah. So you're the first baseman, and you... You look over and you see him at second base. Yeah. What are some of the dynamics that exist then? Yeah, I like we you probably saw it in the altar game. I'm not a big like talker during the game, and I he's just so excited to be on the dirt. He loves playing <laughs> the infield, so he's always trying to talk to me. And uh, you know, it's it's just a it's kind of weird seeing Mookie at second base when you just know he's like the best right fielder in the game, and then he's up here, but then he's like the best second baseman in the game too. It's just one of those weird things. But yeah, he's always trying to talk, and it's always me going like this. Yeah, that's yeah, it. That's all I get. Anything. That's all I get. Yeah, because he's just so excited, and yeah. it's just fun. Like, it's an amazing athlete to be, you know, teammates with. He can play, do anything. 
goes bulls 300 in the morning, comes here and hits three right. home runs if he wants. It's, <laughs> it's pretty special. Yeah. The, the mutual respect. What, what are some of the things that you have discovered about Freddie, the player? I, I get the <laughs> sense about the person, but the player, that's kind of been like a wow couple of moments. Um, I think the, the consistency, not on the field, but like in the cage and like how he sticks to his routine, how he doesn't get high, doesn't get low, doesn't matter what's going on. He just separates everything, anything and everything and takes it one pitch at a time. If he has a bad call, you know, whatever it is, it's like he just does, he stays right here. Did you ask him about that? Like, how do you <laughs> nah, do that? No, nah, I just, I watch it and I try and do it myself. You know, I try and do it myself and it's hard, but it's also kind of easy when you have a perfect example, you know, each and every day, no matter if we're losing, winning, you know, and sometimes when I'm not feeling that good, he'll just look at me and be like, come on, let's go. We got to go. We got to go. And, you know, if he says something, he doesn't talk much, right? But if he ever says something like that, you know he really means it. And uh, that means you need to get going. Tell me about the uh, ping pong tournament. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. That was... Yes. Like you, I, I mean, I, I get the sense that in yeah. recent accomplishments, that's moved to near the top. Yeah. yeah. Well, so we got put together. We, we were just trying to figure out if we were going to play because, you know, it's an off day. And I knew if I was going to play and I knew if he was going to play, the competitiveness was going to come out. And I was like, mm -hmm. do we really want to do this on our off day? We don't. We play every game. And then we decided we were going to play. So the first game, we barely won. Barely won barely the first won. game. We weren't moving very good because no. you have to, each and every shot you switch off. And then by the third game, it was over with. It was, we, we figured out how to move together. Um, he was going, we, we, we just started just going in circles and it was kind of over. Double all this people. happened without, Double all this people. happened like, the, the cool thing to me was uh, this all happened like, and we didn't talk. <laughs> there was no talking going on. We just played. And, like, it's just like a telekinesis thing. I don't know what it is. And we just started moving. And Freddie was like, oh, we're moving now. <laughs> That's all he said. And there's clearly there's this sort of chemistry going yeah, on yeah, that, yeah, that you yeah. both grow to appreciate. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, I think in the, uh, for me, for, for sure, it's just like you gen just genuinely want what's best for him. I want him to play well. Not only just for him, but for his Hall of Fame career, for his family, for anything and everything. I just want Freddie to be great, you know. It's it's just fun watching and it's fun being a part of. Y'all know, yeah, you have the same WAR. I mean, I don't know if you even pay attention to that, but I was looking last night. You both got a 5.1 career WAR. There's a lot of similarities between the two of you on the field that you probably wouldn't think about, but they do exist. I mean, are you aware of those types of things? Uh, I mean, I don't. No, no, that's fine not yeah. to be. I'm just curious if you were. <laughs> everyone asks like me, like, do you compete? I'm like, we don't compete against no. each other. That is like that. the farthest thing. <laughs> when that question ever gets brought, I'm like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, we just want the best for each other, and we're in the lineup together. We're trying to do everything we can to help the Los Angeles Dodgers win a baseball game, yep. and that is our only cares. And I think that's like we just kind of push. To, we're just yep. trying to push each other and push our teammates to try and win the game. Now. Do you ever say to yourself, like, how, and you brought this up with when he came over, but do you ever say to yourself and then to each other, like, how did we end up here, <laughs> both of us? Um, I don't think we've ever talked yeah, about it like uh -uh. that, no. Um, I think we just kind of embraced it, yeah. you know. We, we, we we're here, we are here, and yeah. there's nothing we can do about it, you know. So we're <laughs> here, and ain't no sense in really talking a whole lot about it. It's like, while we're here, 
Let's this ball. Yeah. And make the most of it. You really, you're finishing each other's sentences. Yeah. There you go. Oh. You do realize that? <laughs> <laughs> this bromance will continue it, it long will. after baseball. Uh, oh, yeah. oh, for, oh sure. yeah, for sure. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. And how you, this is, is this unique? I mean, you've been around so many players. You have really good friends all across baseball. There's, it feels unique. Yeah, it's just more of the fact that we're friends and then our wives are friends. Mm -hmm. That's what's so special about this relationship. Uh, his, his daughter, Kenley, and I. Oh, uh, cousin Freddie. Yeah, it's, it's just... It's just a whole family situation for us, not just us in a clubhouse and playing on the field and then we just separate and go home and don't talk to each other. This is a... We ride the bus together yeah, every day every, coming to the field. Like, what time are we going to... We live near each other? Uh, yeah, we yeah. live near each yeah. other. Yeah, this is a this is a whole year-round thing. So, and it's so you know, it's really cool, though. Is, I mean, you, you it was a struggle. And Dansby was that guy to your Charlie. You know, in Atlanta, <laughs> yeah. and now you oh, have yeah. this relation. So it's really nice yeah. to see that because yeah, it was a struggle great. a little bit. No, I mean, we all go through things it was hard. in life. Yeah, everything goes. Everyone goes through. Every everybody switches jobs. Everyone does things. So you just gotta go through it, and we got through it, and here we are now. So since you're not competing with each other, but you are competing with the Giants <laughs> yeah. and, and every other team in the National League, to tell me about what you like about this team as it moves forward and getting into the postseason. I, I just think that. It's more about what we have in the clubhouse. Obviously, we're playing good baseball, but when you have what we have in the clubhouse and all the guys care for each other, pulling the same rope, it carries over onto the field. And obviously, there's a lot of good teams in our division. Uh, it's a fun race. It's going to be a fun race the last six, seven weeks. Uh, but we're playing really good baseball, and hopefully we can continue doing that. Yeah, I mean, I would say the same thing. I mean, you know, it's, it's not going to be easy, you know, but as long as we're playing for each other, you know, and... and you go out and you let the game dictate what's going to happen. You can't really go out and worry about it too much. You just go play and we see what happens. And you know, like you said, it's going to be a dogfight, though. Are you amazed at how he's able to hit? Or you um, I'm over it now. <laughs> you are? I'm over it now. Yeah, like, yeah I'm, I'm over it. Like, I get it. I mean, at first, but uh, I mean, and now I'm over it. There's nothing really... <laughs> Else he could do that. They are can. you over how easy it is for him to go from right to short to second? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm over it. Too. It doesn't yeah. make sense. It, it doesn't make. That's what. It, that's the key. That's thing. exactly. It doesn't make sense. Don't try and make it make yeah, sense. Yeah, and don't. You just, just watch it. it. Just yeah. let it <laughs> just let it happen. Yep. All right, fellas. Thank you. All right. <laughs> yes, sir. Bleacher tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Monday. Elizabeth Hart at eHeart tweets is up first. She writes in, I just wanted to show some love for the mic'd up players during the game. I think it's great. And I know you give players the options to say no if they're not comfortable. So the people who hate it can lick rust. I agree, Lizzie. Wow. I, I like that. That is very well stated. That's better stated than I've ever done. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I, I mean, you know, the players. I mean, it's 162 games, for God's sake. Nine innings for 162 games. Uh, and as uh, as you mentioned, Elizabeth, players we players don't – it's not like we force them to wear the microphones. The conversations start like on Tuesday, the week before, uh, you know, five days before the Sunday game. And then the players think about it. They have a chance to say no. And some of them, most of them, say, yeah, that sounds like fun. Fernando Tatis Jr. had some fun. In fact – Let's listen to some of what uh, he had, uh, his banter back and forth with the booth last night. How would you describe your confidence right now, individually? It's there. It's there. They're, you know, the good thing about me is I know this game, and this game is going to bring you down, it's going to bring you up to the highest, and then it's going to grab you by the neck and throw you as hard as you can to the floor. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's up to you, you know, how, how hard and tough you stay with this game and just trust your abilities and your trust is just going to come. This, the beauty of this game is you have another day for tomorrow. So you might as well just appreciate it and keep working hard as possible. 
Such a great answer. All right, next up we've got our pal Reggie at Baseball Yoda Weather. He writes in Buster in June when the Reds got hot, you jumped on their bandwagon and said they would be a playoff team. Now they are cold. The Cubs are the trendy team. Not a Cubs fan, but I almost want to lay down 500 now that we will hear the same kind of Cubs talk. Reggie being sassy. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, I thought the Reds would be able to out hit their pitching issues. And maybe as they get some of these guys back, that will start to change. We'll see. You know, I, I mean, the Cubs offense is a complete surprise how well, uh, you know, that lineup has developed. Oof, tough one for the Reds losing losing the Nationals this weekend. Woof. Yep. CS Cody the Blind writes in Freeman is a better hitter than Otani. Prove me wrong. Well, I think this is, uh, I said on Baseball Tonight last night, it's the best Freddie Freeman we've ever seen. He's getting the ball in the air more. He went into that game on Sunday hitting 337. Uh, but, I, I, you know, it's interesting because if there was a major leaguer who might have a chance to do what Otani is, it might be Freddie Freeman. I don't know if you know this, Taylor. He was a great pitcher in high school. Mm. And the question coming into the draft was whether or not he was going to be a pitcher or a hitter. Uh, and, you know, as it turned out, the Braves wanted him to be a pitcher, but Otani's a one of a kind. So I, I, I you know, <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> it, it's interesting. Eduardo Perez, we've been having this internal discussion about, uh, you know, Otani versus anybody else. And, and Eduardo feels like that because of the fact that Otani needs to be part of a six man rotation, some of the exceptions need to be made for him that if you took one player, uh, if you could take one player, who would it be? And so he's been asked the question of Dusty Baker last night. He did it with Dave Roberts. And the answer from all these people is, yeah, it would be Otani. <laughs> <laughs> and Edwards, I think, been a little disappointed that he hasn't gotten more people on his side on that conversation. Mm. All right, Cody, there you go. Uh, next up is Bleg at Problematic BA3 rates. And please talk about the downfall of the Diamondbacks. It's a young team. And it's their first run through. And I think they arrived a little bit sooner than what people expected. And, and now we're seeing what they see. Mike Mosk at the Mosque three rights in Red Sox catch, throw and run the bases like a little league team. Starting pitching is awful and their bullpen is as bad. Front office doesn't believe in this team. Fans don't believe in the front office. What happened to this organization? A rhetorical question. And I will leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Last one for today. GV at GVUDM writes in, are there any NL rotations you take over the Braves in a playoff setting? Uh, he runs it down. Fr Freed, Strider, Morton, Elder. How about bullpens? Iglesias, Minter, Jimenez, Lee, Chavez, and probably right for the playoffs. Seems stacked. Yeah, I think the Phillies. I think the <laughs> Phillies are a dangerous team in, in a playoff series. When you're talking about Zach Wheeler and you're talking about Aaron Nola, and you're talking about uh, Michael Lorenzen, who they just acquired, uh, Ranger Suarez. I, I think it's a dangerous team in a playoff series. And a lot of that, to me, are going to come down to, obviously, health. But then what is Charlie Morton once we get into the postseason? You know, is it Charlie Morton with the stuff kind of faded the way it felt like at the end of last year? Is it Charlie Morton who's sharp? We'll see. Sarah Abbott perked up. Some Phillies talk there. Close out the podcast. Music to my ears as a lifelong <laughs> Phillies fan as of almost a year. <laughs> well, you're coming up on a big anniversary here. We'll have to celebrate. Yeah. All right. That's it for Bleacher Tweets. Thanks for writing in, everyone. Uh, and that's it for today. My thanks to Tom Hamilton, Tim, Sarah, Bruce, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality is something we need to fight against every single day.